With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today on Barca Talk, FC Barcelona traveled to Castilla Leon to face Real Valladolid. Arturo Vidal's first half goal gave three points to Barca. However, many questions still remain on their sluggish second half performance and substitutions. With two games left, Barcelona are still trailing Real Madrid for the top spot. We also speak with Ben Hayward from the London Evening Standard about all things La Liga. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barca Talk, the podcast about FC Barcelona from Spain. I'm Gabriel Quiroga in Madrid, Spain. Today's episode, we have an interview with Ben Hayward and the Valladolid post-game analysis. First, my conversation with Ben Hayward from the London Evening Standard. Ben is based here in Madrid and covers FC Barcelona Real Madrid. We got his thoughts on the La Liga restart, VAR, FC Barcelona, and here is my conversation with Ben. So I'm here with Ben Hayward from the Evening Standard and... Yeah, we, we've talked before, before the La Liga restarted, and I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts and opinions on now we're kind of obviously a little bit past the midpoint, but, you know, just how La Liga has handled this restart, in your opinion. Yeah, hello, Gabriel, first of all. How are you doing? <laughs> good, good, uh, good, good. to be here with you. Um, I think La Liga has actually handled this very well. I mean, Javier Tebas has his critics um, around the country, around Spain. But I think in this case, you know, he's done really well. Uh, from the very beginning, he was positive that, that La Liga was going to return, was going to return in this format with matches every day uh, in La Liga in, and, and in the, the, the Segunda División, which comes under the umbrella of La Liga as well. Uh, the, the testing has been really clear. Uh, some of the technology, I think, ha- has gone down well. I think it's been been popular. The um, computer-generated fans that <laughs> yeah, yeah, used yeah. it in the stadiums, and particularly the ambient noise, which I think yeah. a lot of people really, really like. And I think it's been a success. I do. And um, so, yeah, credit to to him and to La Liga for how well yeah. it's gone. To be honest. Yeah, I mean, we talked earlier, and I i thought that there was going to be more positive cases coming out of this but obviously there hasn't been i mean that's not that we've heard of or anything like that and like i agree with you i think it's been pretty pretty successful i mean i love the world cup format so having all these games every day is very exciting i know for you you have to write more how have you felt about the games being every day and just kind of following every day just seems like something new changes from the day before you know there's always a new topic a new controversy there's always something new going on it's you know it's hard to keep track of all the <laughs> all these games going on at the start at the beginning I thought you know maybe I'll do um, a team of the week but then you're into the next match day before like one's just finished and then yeah. you're already into the next one and it's just it's a crazy schedule and it is like a World Cup it's like a mini uh, La Liga World Cup mm. and uh, it's been very exciting I've enjoyed it every day is uh, either a game I mean me specifically I mostly cover. Barcelona and Real Madrid. So every every day is either a game, or it's a pre-match press conference, or it's a post-match, or there's a game in two days' time. Or a, yeah, it's crazy and it's enjoyable. I imagine um, it's quite difficult for the clubs as well. Yeah. That's why perhaps we've seen some teams really take to it more than others so far. But uh, from a professional point of view, it's been good and bad because obviously uh, I haven't been able to go to any games. So that that kind of takes the shine off it a little yeah. bit but it also would have been difficult with this schedule to be travelling around as well it would have been pretty tiring it would have been fun but um, yeah hopefully by uh, by the time next season comes around that's that that will all be sorted I mean La Liga did say to start with uh, 
they might have fans back inside the stadiums in July. But here we are in July, and that there's no indication that that will happen. Yeah. So um, I don't know if it's going to happen at all for the Champions League. But I would have thought probably now it's going to be next season. Sure, sure. That leads to my next question. What has been the biggest surprise team so far this restart? I guess Villarreal. Yeah. Um, obviously, the, the game against Barcelona, from their point of view, was very disappointing. Barcelona were good, but also Villarreal played very, very yeah. open in, in that game and were perhaps a little bit naive tactically. But overall, they've just been absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I'll be honest, they weren't um, ahead of the restart one of the teams I was expecting necessarily to challenge for a, for a Champions League place. They were, they were quite a way behind at that point, even behind Valencia, I think. And they've just, um, apart from that Barcelona game, I think they've won pretty much all of their games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and they play really nice football as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they've been a joy, definitely. Yeah. I thought I definitely thought they were going to give them uh, Barcelona a bit more of a headache just because I thought it was going to be a little bit more back mm. and forth. Um, I don't know if it was because of the, the players that he selected, um, the manager of Villarreal, but yeah, like you said, they, mm. they won a bunch of men. What about disappointments? Who's been your biggest disappointment so far in La Liga of this restart? I think you have to say Real Sociedad, yeah. just because um, they were probably the revelation in the, 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 the first part of the season. Mm. I mean, we, we have to talk about two different championships now. Sure, sure. Where it's two different leagues. And I think Real Sociedad were, were a revelation. Pretty much like Villarreal have been since the restart, and and they were so good to watch, and you know they were really well placed to challenge for for a Champions League spot and, and to seal a Champions League spot. Obviously in the Copa del Rey final as well, knocked out Real Madrid in that competition, yep. and yeah, they, they've been a, a big disappointment and they've dropped way back. And really, I think the chances now are, are of getting top four are very very slim. Yeah, I mean when we talked the first time before and, and I definitely thought Real Sociedad was going to perform better because they were one of the youngest teams and I thought it was really mm. going to benefit them this kind of gauntlet of every day sure. and I definitely thought that you know for example Barcelona or some of the older teams were definitely going to hinder their performance a little bit sure. but Real Sociedad especially in the, the Madrid match I, was, I thought Sociedad was going to be able to play a little bit better especially having the confidence of winning before yeah. and not yeah. being scared but they just I don't know they just haven't clicked and obviously not having Odegaard as well yeah, that's, I mean that's that's, that's, um, that's a big loss for them, but I think also it's momentum, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 for it, sure. A team can be on great form and then you you stop for a while and then it's difficult for them to get back. So um, you know, maybe maybe it's that. I mean, the, the 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 teams that adapted the best to this new situation were always going to be the ones yeah, that, yeah. that that ended up being the more successful. For sure, for sure. Now, I want to talk about hmm. bar. I know we were talking prior to this, so sure. Obviously, you know, it's been littered. I mean, almost every game has had a VAR polemica. I mean, just yeah, every time, you know. unbelievable. What can we do to help alleviate this polemica in the future? Would you institute, like, a new way of doing it? Would you take away? I mean, we can, we can, we're not going to take away VAR, you know, so we can't no, do that. But, no. like, is there something, some, you know, similar rule change that we can do to, I don't know, alleviate this controversy that is almost every game, it seems like? Yeah, that's right, Gabriel. I, first of all, I will say that a lot of people out there probably would like to get rid of VAR. Yeah. Um, I'm not one of those. Nor am I. Um, Nor am I. I definitely think the technology is there. Sure. We should embrace it. Um, it can be good. I thought, for example, in the World Cup, it was really good. And then since then, uh, especially in La Liga, and I know there's been a lot of controversy in the Premier League as well, um, a lot of difficulties... Still, there's still a lot of human error involved yeah, yeah. because um, ultimately it's a person who has to make the call. You can't blame everything on, on VAR. It's, it's not the technology making mistakes. It, it's a person who's deciding. You slow things down and you, they're distorted. Yeah. Um, definitely penalty incidents. If you slow them down, everything looks like a penalty. Everything looks like a foul. You lose a, a little bit of reality, I think. Also with, with offsides, um, I think the rules need to be adapted because you have these offside decisions now which are just literally millimetres mm-hmm. which you can't see with the naked eye and you have to take into account a possible margin of error yeah. uh, with the technology and um, and the moment where, when obviously um, ball leaves foot as well uh, it depends where you stop the frame so um, I, I, I think that's mm, a little bit of an, an exaggeration with offsides I think that rule needs to be changed 
And I think maybe um, some common sense applied as well. Um, because, um, you know, obviously one thing is what you see in, in the image, but I think, um, I think a, a bit of common sense, if it were applied, um, some of the decisions they've taken are, have been unnecessary as well. Yeah. I always, I always think that, do you believe in this narrative that the VAR referee doesn't want to show up the ref by not making a call? They talk about that often, that the VAR ref would rather not tag the ref because yeah. you know, they know in that moment it's like showing them up because they didn't see something. Yeah. Whereas I see it the opposite. If you have an eye in the sky, yeah. help me out. Because you know the, ref, mm. the game is so fast now, right? And the ref cannot see everything. Sure. So I feel like that's kind of like that old school mentality. Mm. Instead of let's collaborate. Let's, if you see something, buzz me. I want to see it. Sure. But I don't, I don't think that's happening. I don't know how that's going to change unless it's, you know, some sort of, I don't know. I don't know what the, how it's going to change. Yeah, that's right. I, I agree with you. I think that that's probably the case. You know, if I were the referee, I'd be grateful so would I. For, so would for, I. Him, uh, for having someone who's got my back, having yeah. someone points something out uh, to me that maybe I didn't see or maybe it was impossible to see. Yeah. Because let's be honest, in real time, it is very, very difficult. Um, I think kind of more clarity and consistency is needed as well. Like, why are some possible penalties looked at and others not looked at? Um, that needs to be kind of better explained. Sure. Uh, you often on TV you'll hear you'll hear the, the explanation that oh, the referee was right not to not to look at that again because for whatever reason. So why are they? Why would they would they be right then to, to look at some and, and not others? Yeah. Um, I think just in a question of, of consistency, and that's where the complaints come. And I think in that respect. We are in a similar situation as to where we were before. You know, sure. like uh, everybody who said like VAR is going to get rid of all the controversy, Wrong. it hasn't Wrong. at all. It's just exactly the same as it was before. And let's yeah. be honest, people yeah. love talking about all Correct. that kind of stuff. Correct. So, um, yeah, I, I guess the debate is is going to go on and on. But I think um, I think the rules can be adapted sure. to to help it um, improve. I think the, obviously there are no fans inside the stadium mm -hmm. at the moment. But I think things can be better explained for fans who are inside the stadium yeah. who maybe are left a little bit in, in the dark as to what's going on as well. I think two things I would want. I, want to, I would just want to see more transparency mm -hmm. of the coordination of the refs talking. I sure. think if they make that transparent, then you have a better understanding of what they're thinking. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you, don't, you can't secondhand everything and you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And I think maybe the other thing too is maybe do something like what the NFL does where they have a coach's challenge mm. where each team has one challenge they can throw a flag out there if they see something and then have it looked at because That's interesting. I, yeah, I think again, I just think that the VAR booth a lot, a lot of times they don't want to show up the ref even though we have a different opinion of that. You know, it's, it's like I want more. Yeah. I, I'd, rather, I'd rather have them analyze and make the correct call and live or die by that knowing that they looked at it and they made a decision mm. rather than no call. Sure. And then having the, the gray zone of what if, what if, what if. You yeah, know? yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's just me watching the games. And especially like last night, I was just telling you before with the Fati thing that, you know, they went to the bar, but he mm. ran and he only saw the image. And just like you said, the image can be distorted. It can be angled. It can be different. He only saw one image. He didn't see the video and then ran mm. back. And Now, I'm not saying that... You know, I believe Fati should have got a red card. I mean, I think if you're mm. going to go with that, it's fine. Red yeah. card, you know? I think but the thing is, just take more than five seconds to look at the video. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. Just a little consistency, you know? I think so. I, I would agree with that. I think um, often when there's this kind of um, controversy, you, you go on Twitter and people, <laughs> people send you images. Yeah. And I always have a problem with that because an image on its, on its own doesn't really prove anything. Sure. And from certain angles, it might look like... Um, you know, for example, the one with, with Benzema when mm -hmm. the shoulder there was a doubt whether yeah. the ball touched his shoulder, whether it touched his uh, his arm. Depending on what angle mm -hmm. you, you looked at, it could look like yeah. his shoulder or it could look like his arm. So that's one of the, the things. Last night I saw uh, somebody on Twitter had had posted a, a picture of, of Longley um, with his uh, leg outstretched in a tackle, and it looked like he was. Um, catching uh, an Espanol player um, in the leg mm -hmm. and in reality it didn't even touch him but in the image it looks yeah, like it yeah. does and so just an image is not enough sure, definitely, sure. I'd agree that definitely you need to look at um, 
look at the the video yeah. and it's the same with offsides and yeah, all yeah, of this yeah. kind of stuff really I mean, like you said, I, I like the technology. We have mm -hmm. it, so let's use it. Like goal line of technology, VAR and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people always complain that's going to slow the game. But I I don't really think there's that many calls in a game that's going to sl slow it down so much, right? I don't think it slows the game down as much as yeah, people yeah, thought. Yeah. And um, obviously there was that mistake, wasn't there, in the Premier League with goal line technology, <laughs> yeah. where clearly the ball crossed the yeah, line yeah. and the technology said it yeah. didn't. And in that case, it's stupid. Like yeah, you can yeah. see, you have the image overrule it, you know. But um, in general, yeah, technology is there it's sure. to be embraced. It's we've seen it in so many other sports exactly. work effectively. Um, so I just feel like it's a case. And of the other thing too, it's still in the infancy. Of course, you know that's yeah. the other thing. I mean, we've only had it for like three years, essentially. Yeah, two, two, three years. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. kind of those things. It's always evolving, right? It is improving. I mean, it's better than it was at the beginning. Mm. But I, I just, I just think the biggest thing is release. You know, maybe the refs just don't want to do more paperwork you know maybe it's just that simple you know when they have to yeah. do the reports and you know when you have to do more VAR decisions there's more paperwork and maybe it's just that simple so um all right so going back to champions league spots and relegation spots so you know champions league spots you said for example Villarreal has kind of come up out of nowhere they're they have, they're, yeah. they're in that battle I mean they're still a little bit off but they're in that battle who do you have claiming champions league spots going forward I mean I think Atletico are definitely yeah. uh, going to make the Champions League now. They're, they're three points ahead of Sevilla and, and six ahead of Villarreal, and they've, they've been really, really good. They, I think they drew the first game after the, the restart, mm -hmm. and that was looking like it would be their problem. They've had quite sure. so many draws this season. Since yeah. then, they've just been winning, winning. And um, yeah, I, I, I think Atletico will be there, which hasn't really surprised me, but they, they were sixth coming into the restart. You worried for them a, a little bit, uh, but they've done really well. And um, yeah, I guess the losers so far are Real Sociedad that we, who we yeah, mentioned, yeah, yeah. and Getafe who kind of dropped down a little yeah. bit as well. But Villarreal right up there, and it's just a case of whether it's going to be Villarreal with the okay. momentum or Sevilla. Can they hold on? They, they still look pretty good, and they've got a game in hand as well. So I would, if I'm just looking at those teams, I I like Villarreal's chances. Yeah, I just. I just think they score more goals. And I just think the way Sevilla has been playing, especially the last four games, it just feels like they're hanging off of their life sure. to get each kind of victory. You know, like the last game, the goalie gets hurt, yeah. the forward comes in, and it's like yeah. they hold on, hold on for dear life just to get three points. Whereas Villarreal, outside the Barcelona game, looking pretty comfortable scoring goals. It's true, it's true. They are a little bit behind. They're still three points behind. Yeah. And Sevilla, as I said, have a game in hand. But um, to be honest, I think... Either of those teams, and would have been nice to receive Real Sociedad as well. Mm. But I think either of those teams will be fun to watch in yeah. the Champions League next yeah, yeah. season. For sure, for sure. And in the cellar, the relegation. I mean, obviously, yeah. we know Espanol last night was officially relegated, but what do you, what do you, what do you got? It's funny, isn't it? Because La Liga returned and every, <laughs> every, everything was wide open. So we had to go like this. Uh, battle at the top of the title then the Champions League places and now relegation yeah. and now you wonder whether is there that much to play for at the bottom obviously Espanyol already gone yeah. uh, Leganes 28 points Mallorca 29 and then uh, 17th uh, you've got Eibar uh, but there's 6 points clear of, of the bottom 3 and uh, yeah, it sounds uh, yeah, unimaginative to say but I think it's probably going to stay as it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can see that. I think Leganes have been desperately unlucky because they lost uh, in the city to mm -hmm. Sevilla in, in January. Um, for what was um, a good fee, I think Sevilla paid for, for him, but obviously to lose a big player like that and then in February to lose Martin Bradbury yeah, as yeah. well to, to Barcelona. I mean, you've, you lost your, your two goal scorers. It makes it virtually yeah. impossible to stay up especially so, at that level right where you don't I, have when you don't have the depth level, of strikers I mean, yeah, yeah. and you know ultimately because of the break and because of Suarez coming back you know Brathwaite hasn't been used that sure. much for Barcelona it's just it's really unfortunate because they weren't allowed to, to sign a player to replace yeah. him either uh, so I think I think Leganes will go and I think Mallorca probably even though they've had some really good results they just haven't been quite consistent enough yeah, so, yeah. it's a shame so <laughs> on the coffee machine yeah, no, we're, yeah, we're, we're here in the, it's coffee time right now so pardon the noise let's stop this real quick alright you think it's going to stand down with the relegation that way yeah, yeah I think yeah. it probably will alright now I want to get your opinion on our team Barcelona um, 
especially since you're kind of the unbiased outside the solar side hmm. of things. So depends who you speak yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so today in the I love this I love the sports show here so much because for example in the States we don't get as much gossip right. as we do here. You right, know, right. for example, last night's game, you know, they played a game, there was one goal. For the first fifteen minutes it's all about everything else around the game. And then they show the highlights of the game, right? So like how PK arrived to the game in that bicycle, you know, like all the, all these different things before yeah. you get to the highlights, which I love. Close. I just love the gospel. It's, of it. fun. it's fun. And one of the things they say they just talked about was Barca andando, so Barca walking, okay. right? Do you believe that Villarreal was just a one fluke game, and this is what we're going to see for the mm-hmm. rest of, for this time period? I mean, are they really the slow? Like I think they're one of the slowest teams in Europe. Yeah, I don't think Villarreal was necessarily a fluke um, because. <laughs> Barcelona did play very well that game. And I think they're capable of that kind of performance in in other games. But let's be honest, not many teams are going to play the way Villarreal did against Barcelona because it it does expose you and it it, it leaves you very open. We've seen um, the past few games, uh, Sevilla, obviously, Celta, Atletico, and now even Espanyol um, defending really, really well against Barcelona and, and, and making it difficult for them. And against that kind of low block, that's when Setien needs to, to, to find more solutions. Sure. And, and, you know, last night at home against Espanyol, you, yeah. you expect more. I know Real Madrid also uh, had yeah. a, a tough game recently against Espanyol. I mean, they, they, they've done all right despite their position in, in the last few games. But um, you'd expect more from Barcelona with all the quality that they have. And I think that's something we maybe expected from Setien, that he was going to have more attacking solutions. Because let's be honest, Valverde used to get a lot of criticism, mm-hmm. um, even when results were good, because performances weren't necessarily so good, and because the midfield wasn't good enough, and the, the attacking play, the link-up play. I think a lot of people expected Setien to to improve Barcelona in that respect. Not only have we not seen that really too much, um, but we've seen the problems away from home continue. And now we're seeing problems at home as well, which Valverde, let's be honest, didn't have. have. Yeah. Oh, okay, there was the, the game against Sparta Prague where they were really poor in that game. I, I, I was there and it was nil-nil. This the Clasico, which wasn't great, but, you know, Real Madrid quite a strong rival. Apart from that, uh, you know, the, I was looking at the wins. Yeah, I think the three five twos this season at Camino, a couple of 4-1s, a 5-1, a 4-0 against Sevilla, by the way, and, you know, emphatic victories, whereas uh, with Setien, we've only seen a 5-0 against Eibar, when Messi scored four, uh, we've seen a 5-1 against Leganes, but that was in the Copa del Rey, where they were kind sure. of concentrating on their, their survival bid, and uh, 2-0 against Leganes in, in, in La Liga, which came with a penalty as well, which wasn't particularly convincing, and all the rest have been by a single goal, so then we've, there have been four 1-0 wins, and a couple of 2-1 wins. And um, yeah, it's not, not been good enough. Obviously, yeah. um, some of that has been without the fans. But some of it was, was with the fans. They've had a, a long time now, in theory, to get used to, to Setien's ideas. And I don't see a dramatic improvement. And um, obviously, we still have to see what, what happens in, in Europe. Sure. But I'll be honest, um, the way they're playing, I, I don't like this team's chances. And um, I think a lot of people are realizing that the problems actually go a lot deeper than Valverde and Setien. It's, it's the squad, it's the age of the squad, uh, the type of players, the failure to re- effectively re- replace Neymar, spending all that money, through over 350 million euros on, on Dembele, who would, by the way, be very useful in the team right now, but he's just perennially injured. Uh-huh. Also, when, a little bit erratic when when he's um, when he's there, but he offers something different. Um, Coutinho, who was for my liking, he had his moments, but far too static. Didn't really offer uh, enough defensively. And Griezmann, who you know works hard, but hasn't really quite been uh, effective enough. Yeah. So that, that's a lot of money they've, they've thrown at that um, position since Neymar left, and, and hasn't really been effective. Then, of course, they went and, and sold Artur. And uh, it seems that even though he's still there, he's hardly going to feature yeah. now because he's gone in the summer. I don't know. that That's a, a call made by Setien. Yeah. He knows what he looks like in training. 
maybe it's the right decision, but again, it's a it, it, it's a decision by the board to, to yeah. balance the books with the season still ongoing, and uh, it's just um, there's a, a lot to cope with. I mean, Valverde was working in difficult difficult conditions. Sure, Setien is working under those same conditions. Yeah. The players, I don't know if they they've completely taken to him. Um, there's a bit of friction there with Sarabia, who is. I get the impression that the players are a bit like, who's this guy yeah, you know, coming yeah. in and you know, in his late thirties, coming in and, and telling me what to do, and I'm messy, and you know, that maybe that's a, a problem with the mentality as sure. well. But it was always a risk. Yeah, bringing Setien, who was third or fourth choice, never coached a big club, uh, never won a trophy, never worked with um, big big players like this. So um, I remember when Valverde left and, and Setien came in. There was a lot of euphoria uh, among Barcelona <laughs> fans on Twitter, but yeah, our style is back. And yeah. Like, that means we're going to be successful. And it, there's so many other facets to the Barcelona job, which you know. Of course. And uh, I think we're seeing that yeah. now. And we're seeing very similar lineups. Yeah. Obviously, Ricky Puch has played a little bit more, played at the beginning, then was frozen out for a little bit, and now he's come back. Ansu Fati was playing quite regularly under Valverde, let's be honest, as well. But apart from that, you know, we're still seeing Rakitic, we're seeing sure. Vidal, we're seeing um, this aging team, and I don't see big differences. Yeah. That game last night uh, against Espanyol, you know, if Valverde's Barca had produced a performance like that, I think the criticism would have been huge. Yeah, to be yeah. honest, I, I don't see big changes from Setien. I think one of the things um, that I've noticed too, like, especially since there's no fans right now, I think it's definitely hurt the team even more because no one is giving them that criticism or that feedback. Do you know mm. what I'm saying? So like, yeah. especially like if there's crowd, they see the game last night, they're going to vocalize that a little bit more, right? I mean, this is my, mm. my opinion. Perhaps, so. perhaps. Although, yeah, maybe, you know, there were bad performances yeah, under, yeah, under, yeah. under Valverde as well. I yeah. guess um, the point we mentioned about the home form, even though the performances were bad, they were still winning sure. most of the time. Sure, so, uh, sure. I mean, it's just one of those things, like, for example, last night I saw that Suarez came off and he was, you know, super mad. And yeah. it's like he's not being self-criticizing himself to see the overall no. performance. Like, he did score a goal. And this is where it's, it's such a big debate because, you know, yes, he scored a goal and then he scored the mm. other goal also the other night against Villarreal. But if you look at his overall performance in the game, he just lacks a lot of things that I want from a number nine in his prime. That's all, you know? So it's kind of like one That's of those things. That's the thing. You like, know, and against Celta, he... Scored twice, yeah, and, and, and but the rest of the game he didn't do anything. That's but that's thing. it. But, but, but on the overall um, build-up play, yeah. link-up play, yeah. uh, movement, defensive work, lots of other things, um, it's almost like he's not there. So yeah. Uh, yeah, he pops up with a couple of finishes. Sometimes they're brilliant, yeah, world yeah. class, and he's now the third highest scorer in Barcelona's exactly. history. And exactly. you know, he, he's a Barcelona legend, yeah, yeah, of course. But um, you know, he, he did that post-match interview at Balaidos they're questioning the coaching staff as yeah, well yeah. and you get the feeling that obviously I know he's been subbed a couple of times sure. but you get the feeling that Setien probably doesn't want to bring yeah. him off and you know my, my I guess my criticism with Setien is I, I definitely thought that you know especially the second game the 3-5-2 system he implemented I said okay let's go for it yeah. let's do it you know let's go for these 4-3 games these 3-2 games mm -hmm. non-existent and the other thing too is, you know, I've noticed also, you know, as every coach in Barcelona ages so quickly, mm. Setien was the happy-go-lucky guy at the beginning, and now in his press conferences, he's like the old codger, like he will not take questions that well, you know, and he's just like criticisms and stuff. Like today, I watched from last night, mm. you know, the press conference, yeah. and they're like, "What do you think?" He's like, "Well, I'm I'm satisfied." It's like, well, okay, you know, and you just yeah, can just see, you can just you can just see how aware is already three months, you know. It it's wears crazy. you down. Yeah, yeah. I think in that respect, maybe. Barcelona's probably even harder yeah. than Madrid because even if you're winning, then you have to question. You have questions about the playing style. Yeah. If that's not right, and then La Masia, if you're not picking enough young players, yeah. and there's always something. And yeah. I remember Tata Martino and the famous one about the um, possession. You know, they, they beat Raya Vallecano four 0 and the, you know all the journalists, all their questions were about, but you lost the possession, and Tata was like, <laughs> but we won four 0 yeah. But it's like, yeah, well, yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it's a difficult club and a, a very difficult job. Sure. And um, I do feel for him, but I think he came in in very difficult circumstances yeah, yeah. anyway. Let's be honest, probably that's the only way you're going to get Correct. the Barcelona Correct. job if you're him. And let me, let me I, ask I you, wonder if he, me, like you said, if he, if he abandoned his ideas a little bit. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, do you, I mean, 
do you think there's that much pressure on the behind the scenes where he has to abandon the tactics that he really wants to do? You know, because like uh, you know, we saw in the second mm-hmm. game, the 3-5-2, and then we haven't seen it since. You know, and it's been, okay, maybe a 4-4-2 mm-hmm. type of thing, but like still, like, does the behind the scenes, they put a lot of pressure to continue the same, I don't know, maybe to handcuff them with decisions? I think a couple of things in that respect. Uh, first of all, I remember fans saying when he was appointed, it doesn't matter what happens in the rest of this season, mm-hmm. um, it's all about next season. Mm. That's fine in theory, but that's not how Barcelona works. Sure. Um, a club like Barcelona has to be um, challenging. For the, I mean, that, that would be okay if maybe you're already out of everything and you're 15 points off, off, off the league. Like when Zidane came back to Real Madrid last season, yeah, he was way off the pace. You know? yeah. it, was, it was all about this season. But Setien took over with Barcelona on top of the table, albeit only um, level on points with Real Madrid. But if you're on top of the table, you're expected to, to, to be there uh, or there or thereabouts around the end of the season. And to challenge in the Champions League as well. So um, that pressure, I think, is a reality. Another factor to be considered is maybe... He doesn't have the players to be able to play the kind of football mm. that he wants to. I think, uh, as we've mentioned, it's an aging team and an aging squad now. If he wants to play three at the back, if he wants to play um, a more attacking style, you know, he's going to need um, younger players and yeah. maybe a transfer window to be able to bring them in. But, sure. But will he get that? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always complicated. I mean, it's just, you know, I just... I just seen the dwindling of the speed, and for me, that's always yeah. hard to watch because you watch any other La Liga team, and just the back and forth that you see just normally, you know, just like in a normal match, right? Just the back and forth, and I just don't see that with Barcelona at all. Especially they always get caught out on the counter. So I even put a question. I, I'm gonna finish this off. Who's yeah. the Who's the fastest five players on Barca right now? I know. <laughs> uh, I think you, you mentioned that in the yeah, tweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Um, I was left scratching my head. Yeah, yeah. Bit, right? I mean, Dembele, but of course. He, he's not there, yeah. right? So, um, uh, Ansu Fati. Semedo. Uh, Semedo. And then after that, it just kind of like... After that, you know, uh, you know, even even Griezmann, let's be honest, yeah. is not particularly, particularly fast. Yeah. Messi and Suarez are well into their 30s yeah. now. It's just, it's just a crazy thing just you to... You could do with, I mean, the, the problems at, at the back... Uh, a peak, peak umtiti was uh, very fast, yeah. but not anymore. And you yeah. see how he was jogging back against uh, against Celta. Now he's out injured as well. Yeah. I think his knee problems. He's lost a significant amount of pace. The midfield is slow. Busquets, Rakitic, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good yeah, question. And the, and the other and thing the too is, one. if if Pjanic comes today, is he the fastest midfielder? <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Yeah, and, that's you know, a, yeah, he's yeah. no spring chicken. Right? Exactly, yeah, that's the thing. And that, that's that's so, just uh, kind of just kind of puts it in context of this whole, you know, especially like just the way they pass and they just don't take chances. You know, there's one yeah. possession. And last night's game was just really difficult to watch for me, especially. I just was having a hard time finding positives, especially when there was only two shots on goal type of thing. It's difficult, and you wonder why um, Ricky Puch. I know yeah. Andrew Fati came on. And only lasted four minutes yeah, because but, of the red card. I mean, yeah. it was it was the change to make. Sure. But you wonder why he maybe didn't didn't start. Like yeah, in theory, that starting lineup is good enough sure. to beat Espanyol at home, right? But but certainly Ricky Puch came into the side, two really good performances, and and then he's been back on the bench. You know, yeah, yeah. Want, is it because of hierarchy? Is it because of other more senior players on huge wages? Uh, Setien said he wasn't interested in hierarchy, but he's. <laughs> Yeah, he probably is a little bit. Yeah, of course, of course. Because you know it's easier to sub Griezmann than it is Suarez, or, or leave Griezmann on the bench than, than Suarez. I mean, just like last night, they said the most exciting play from Barca last night was Setien's first touch when the ball came out of bounds, <laughs> where he did the kind of one yeah. touch. Act. So it was uninspiring. Yeah. <laughs> so last thing, who's winning La Liga? I just, yeah, I mean it's, it's still open, but I, I can't see beyond Real Madrid just because I think four points at this point plus the um, the goal average yeah, yeah, yeah. the head to head the head to head record so it's effectively five points really yeah. to, to, to close that gap in in just well Barca have three games left Real Madrid have four at this point Madrid can afford to lose one even and they've won seven yeah. in a row yeah. it's it just uh, I feel like, and you, we, you know, we can talk about decisions. We can talk about VAR, and the, 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 there is an element of that. But 
if you look at um, the demeanor and uh, the kind of the mood at both clubs ahead of the return, yeah, I think um, Zidane and, and Real Madrid were, were very positive um, and have treated this like an, as an opportunity. Sure. Uh, obviously, they came in two points behind, but it's like okay, now we have a, a new chance. Uh, they've treated it almost like a, they're used to in the Champions League when yeah. they're winning one year, by one. Year, yeah, yeah. One by one. It's like it's a mini competition, got 11 games left. And I think Carvajal came out and said, Zidane told us 11 finals and we're going for 33 points. You can compare that to Setien saying it's going to be difficult to yeah, win yeah. every game. We're going to try, but it's going to be tough. Even that sends a message sure, to the players. Sure. Of course, Real Madrid have a much bigger squad. Yeah. But you know, you go into it with, with that mindset. Yeah, 11 games, we're going to try to win them all. 11 finals. Setien was even complaining about the substitutions how that was going to work against his team. And then, of course, he hasn't been making substitutions yeah. even um, early, enough, early enough in the game. Yeah. So, um, yes, it's true that Barcelona haven't got a very big squad and it's true they haven't got as many options. You know, you've seen Real Madrid's bench and they've got like seven attacking players on, on the bench. And, of course, there's 12 subs now. And it's just, um, it's tremendous. And maybe reminiscent of the last time when they won the La Liga when they had like guys like James in, in, in Morata in, yeah. in reserve. But still, Setien hasn't uh, made enough of, of his bench options. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's played into Real Madrid's hands, but I think they've also embraced it as an opportunity. Sure. You never know. But yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think it's, it's definitely theirs to lose now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just think they have two things. I mean, just like you said, their mentality of right now, and just it just seems like it's just workmanlike. They mm. just go for the one game, three points, no matter how you can do it. Mm. And to me, that's just, especially in this gauntlet of, you know, like you said, 11 games, the way they're able to, even though they've had penalty calls and stuff, but they're getting the three points, and they just mm. move on. Three points, yeah. move on. Three points, and move on. It and doesn't matter. It was like exactly. when, when they were winning the Champions League, and you know, some, sometimes they'd be, um, you know, they, they, they'd be on the back foot, defensively exactly. suffering, whatever, but they got through it. Exactly. They knew how to get through yeah, it, yeah. and I think that experience has served them well. That's why it's a perfect analogy of how Barca treats Champions League in the last couple of years. It's They yeah. always think that yeah. their style is going to overall win in these tactical decisions yeah. where they don't just fight for the one game and move on. So, so yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, unfortunately, I, I agree with you right now because I just, I just think Madrid just has too much momentum and just too much wind behind their sails, sort of say. Mm. So... Well, thanks, Ben, for joining me in our conversation in the quaint cafe here in, in Chambéry. You're very welcome. Until <laughs> next time. want to thank Ben for coming on and having that great conversation. Um, you know, Ben has some great insight on La Liga. He's a great follow on Twitter. You can follow him at BG Hayward, and the link is also in the show notes. Before we get to the Valladolid game analysis, want to tell you about our Patreon community. Did you know that the Real Madrid podcast, Managing Madrid, has more than 700-plus patrons, and they're not even based in Spain. However, they do provide their community with almost daily content about Real Madrid. We, however, are based in Spain, and we're making a big push for Patreon because it helps us with our overall costs, and we want to continue to create audio and video content from here about FC Barcelona. So if you become a patron today for $5 a month, you get access to the daily news podcast, Mariana's pregame video from Barcelona, a commercial free feed, and also discounts in our Barca Talk merchandise store. Click on the show notes, become a patron today, and more importantly, don't let Real Madrid win. After the break, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother, and I break down the Valladolid match. Hello. And welcome to the Barca Talk post-game show. I'm Brian Henderson in Buffalo, New York, coming out from behind from my from my editing pod to get back on microphone to talk with Gabriel. for emergency. Yes. First of all, I just want to get started. I just, I just think it was a tale of two halves. I mean, what, how'd you see it? Oh, that's. I mean, it was clear as day. It wasn't just that um, Barca had a good first half and an, and a less good second half. It's that Valladolid did not have a good first half, and then they had a much better second half. Uh, fortunately, their you know their their lack of finishing capability uh, uh-huh. sort of came in to give Barca the win <laughs> off of yeah, Arturo yeah, Vidal's yeah. goal. Yeah, yeah, and we were joking around during the game is that um, you know obviously Vidal, my favorite Barca player on the team right now, you know scoring the goal. And uh, I mean, what can you say? I mean, I just think you know the flexibility that they had in the first half with Griezmann up point, which is they were just much more mobile. It was much more entertaining to watch. I mean, in the second half of the match, Brian, uh, we were talking about cricket 
and Claude Makaleli. So that just just to tell you like what was going on in our heads here with the second half. And that's, I really that's what just was going on on the uh, on the hot mic discussion on the hot mic. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. again, I just I mean it's a direct correlation to the Suarez coming in the, in the second half. Pooj getting taken out. Yes, yes. Was was something, and I was I was reading a couple of comments on a on a message board, and I saw one comment ter say uh basically they they said Pooj is a strange player he doesn't score he doesn't assist he doesn't do x y and z why is he getting playing time and i and i'm just thinking were you watching he's the one yeah, guy yeah, yeah. who's really running like i don't know he's he's he was the most exciting player on the pitch for barcelona for me in this game yeah for sure i mean and the thing that he does so well is just is his activity and you can see that in the first half compared to the second half. You know, when he's gone, my friend Jamie was making the, the comment about it, is that he's gone and all of a sudden that midfield just loses that activity and everything just becomes a slow walk. He's not scoring goals, but the thing that he provides is that activity and the ability to just go forward and be aggressive. From what you've seen of Pooch so far, do you think that he is going to grow into that? Because that's what I think. No, I definitely think so. And I, and I also just comes with his body type as well. He just needs to grow into his body a little bit more so that he can just weather some of those attacks. But, you know, when I look at it first is his ability to win 50-50 balls. I mean, to me, you don't see that with any other midfielders, really. You know, that ability to come in and win those 50-50 balls, but also trying to go forward. I mean, how many times do we have a counter we stopped, pause, and back passed as opposed to just going forward? And I'm not saying you have to go forward all the time, but just – have that in your back pocket and try a shot here or there. But on the opposite side, you have Vidal who scores the goal, mm-hmm. but you know, most of the time you're uh, you know, he's obviously not your favorite. I think he might be your least favorite Barcelona player. He is. He is. He is. <laughs> he is. But, and I keep thinking about, he does come through in these isolated moments here and there. That of course is not why you dislike him. It's because of essentially all the other minutes that he's playing. That is correct. I mean, that's essentially what it is. It's it's not, you know, obviously take the goal away, but I just want more passing, giving and going and just more technical ability, as I always say. Now, Vidal had a good game the first half. He was really good because the interchange and the spacing, especially with Semedo, was a huge difference. You know, we didn't see that in the second half and there was just a lot of walking. Now, now Vidal has seven goals on the season now. I mean, that's not something to just look at lightly because that is a midfield position that you don't really think that you're going to get more than five. So you have to take that in a grain of salt. But I just, you know, I just wanted to play second half spurts. That's all. You know? Yeah. So so Rakitic came on for Puj. And he I'm did. thinking when that happened that I, I wasn't so into that sub. I'm fine with Rakitic coming on, of course. But I wanted to ask you, would you have preferred that Rakitic came on for... Vidal or Sergio Roberto instead of Pooch? I mean, I, w- I would just rather have Rakitic come in for Busquets. I think that's just the be- the best move going forward because I think Ultimately, Rakitic... sort of how it worked out. Yeah, yeah. I think Rakitic is um, the better of just coverage and to be able to just man that defensive role. And I also think that Rakitic right now is just like 10% quicker than Busquets. And I think that goes a long way with this team right now. We just need to be 10% quicker across every position. And when Rakitic comes in for Busquets, that's a huge difference. But like, yeah, I was a little bit confused with the with the Puj move and, you know, with Rakitic coming in for that. I just thought, are we trying to defend against Juventus or are we trying to beat Valladolid? Like, I'm <laughs> confused by this. Right, right. <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah <laughs> or neither <laughs> exactly i mean that's the thing is like you know from the first half we had 75 percent possession and it dropped down to 65 at the end of the game yeah let's just go through the player ratings really quick um and just see how they did let's start off with ter stegen so how would you rate him out of 10 like what would you think he he did or he didn't do or maybe he should improve going forward uh he did make one or two uh, really good saves, if I remember correctly. I definitely remember one. And uh, he didn't seem to, uh, you know, come out recklessly too often. He he managed himself pretty well. Um, I'd give him a pretty... I'm not good with, like, uh, numbered ratings. I'm not good with that. So I, I'd give him a um, a thumbs up. A thumbs up, okay? Yeah. So that's, like, above a five, I guess. Definitely. It's so. above... He did above average. <laughs> so, yeah, I would... You know, I would... Yeah, like you said, he wasn't tested that much. He did what was expected, another shutout. And I guess 
that's all you can really expect with Ter Stegen. I think his passing was on point. And yeah, I just, you know, I would say seven, 7.5 if I was going to be nitpicky. Let's start with the right side moving to the left and we'll start with Samedo. So Samedo's performance, what do you think? Again, you know, game of two halves, right? His first mm-hmm. half, he was on fire. But then his second half, it faltered. And I don't know if it was a, a tactical adjustment on Valladolid's part to kind of shut him down. I can't tell those nuances, but I do know he was not as effective in the second half as he was. So let's say a five, five to six. So I, you know, you have a good point there. The first half, I definitely think that's the Semedo we want to see, right? Yeah. Just daring, attacking. He had a couple shots. I think one or two shots on goal. He was making crosses, uh, especially with the Griezmann fluff on there. And I think he was definitely like, that's the Semedo we want to see. Second half, I don't know if it's just the tactical part of that where he was just not able to go as much down the right side. And then also with Suarez being up there. But I would say overall, you know, I was very, I think this is one of the better tomato games I've seen in a while. And I would say 6.5 is a good one. Yeah, um, that's what, that seems yeah, fair. What, yeah. What would you say, PK? He got into a, a nice little discussion with Laos, which I appreciate. <laughs> uh, you know, he cut out a lot of crosses, shut down a lot of plays. He was very responsible, didn't commit too many fouls, didn't give up any penalties. Uh, I'd give him a 7.56. You know, especially with Valladolid not being so fast, I think that definitely helped us. You know, we weren't on the back foot that much. And, yeah, I would say, you know, PK was pretty reasonable out there with the decisions he had to make. And he wasn't, you know, like you said, with Ter Stegen, he didn't have to make so many counterattack tackles, for example. And so when PK has a clean shirt, that means he had a good game for the most part. So I would say right. like a 7, 7.5, yeah. yeah. So we had two two center backs there. We had Longley in the first half, essentially. And then we yeah. had Arahu in the second half. And I just think Arahu didn't really do anything in the second half because you didn't really have to do that much. But how would you rate Longley in the first half of the year? <laughs> let, me, let, let me start with Arahu because he, okay. he, he came in for Longley uh, into the second half. And you're right. He didn't have to do much. But, you know, he's young. He's a Barca B player. I'm glad that he got the minutes and I'm glad that he came on for Longley because, yeah, Longley was not having a great game. He, he was getting outrun a lot. He was getting kind of used uh, a few times. And sure, a lot of the times he was solid doing his job well, but he did get caught out, I think, more times than I was comfortable with. So when Araujo came on for him, I thought that was a good thing. So I would give Araujo like a, a six to seven, mainly because, you know, he he wasn't incredibly tested. He didn't have to work that hard. He didn't have to do too much. But what he did was clean, responsible. It was workmanlike, good center back performance. Longley, on the other hand, I would give him closer to a six. I think that's fair. I mean, I, you know, with Longley, I just, it's one of those things where he was out of sight, out of mind for me. Like he didn't do too, too many errors, but like you pointed out a couple of the things and I think a six is, is doable. Now, what about your boy, the squirrel? <laughs> <laughs> Jordi Alba. He looks tired, uh, you know, so in this case, you know, he looked fine, he looked OK at first, and then it just descends in terms of his ability to run his his act, overall activity. His skill is still there. You know, he didn't have any super bad giveaways, no major mistakes. So six point three, four or six point three repeating. Yeah, you know? yeah, there's a lot, a lot of calculus, a lot of calculus involved. I am I am super disappointed with his performances, not only this one, but just since the restart. And I can honestly say that ever since the restart, he's been one of the players that's been really disappointed. He hasn't shown that burst. He hasn't shown the different things of what he used to do down that left flank. And unfortunately, he has to find other facets of his game to be just as effective. And since he doesn't have the speed now... He's in that gray spot where he's trying to figure out where, how he should go up, when he should go up. And again, like he was, like you said, he had a couple crosses, fine. But like overall, he's just not doing anything and he's not as solid defensively. So it's kind of like you're in a rock and a hard place. It's like you have a player out there who used to be really fast, really good on attacking, but he's not doing either of those two things once in a while. And he's also not the strongest defender. So it's kind of, we have to keep Alba because he's the big name, you know? So I would agree with you, 6.34. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I think probably what he should be looking to do, I don't know if this is something that happens, but I think the most responsible thing he could do is try to mentor Junior Furbo. If a proper coach was there, that's what they would do. And there would be some sort of collaboration for the good of the team. But that's just not how it is. It's, it's, 
yeah, you have a good point there, but it's just not going to, I don't think it's going to fly. I mean, maybe if they offered him a bonus uh, <laughs> to incentivize it or something. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, yeah. A Christmas bonus. Yeah. So really quick, we have, because the next player I want to talk about is Puj, and we got a comment here from Victor Valenchek, your boy from Houston. What's up, Victor? And he said Suarez and Racky is a huge loss in quickness versus Puj and Grease, of course. So the two vital situa- substitutions in this match is definitely Griezmann and Puj because they're the only two guys that are the most direct right now and the most active on defense and trying to go up and down. So, you know, obviously with Puj's uh, first half performance, how would you rate his performance in this match? I don't know. Just from enjoyment of watching, I'd give him an eight. Puj is, is definitely on there with it's – the, it's the same thing with the last three years that we've been talking about. It's the spark. It's the thing that you identify with seeing that talent and that ability to go through and you hook onto. And then that's why the, like you said, yeah, he didn't assist and he didn't shoot. I don't care. I, I want to see him every game right now and start because his energy is infectious. Yeah, exactly. And I still think that everything that he has doing leads to assists or, sure. well, maybe not in this game because we only had the one goal. We did. But, uh, and that had that play had nothing to do with him. But he was also very instrumental in a lot of plays that were near misses where it wasn't his fault that it didn't result in a goal. For sure. Well, for except sure. for the shot that he took that missed. Or it was it saved. Did. It was saved. <laughs> it, it was saved. But, you know, the thing is, I at least he's trying. And that goes to me a lot of effort because no one else is, you know, because the next play we're going to talk about is Busquets. And to me, now when I just see him, it just drives me crazy because it's just slow as molasses. That's all I think about. There's just he had one good pass today against Semedo where he had that nice through ball. So that was a good Very pass. Nice. But Brian, this is the first pass in the last five games that he was daring with a through ball. And that's the thing. It's just he's playing so much in himself, I think, and he doesn't want to make so many mistakes, and which is very rare for Busquets. Well, one thing that's become clear is that the more he extends himself, the more mistakes he makes. Correct. I mean, that's that's, that's where he's at now. Yeah, and unfortunately, I mean, that's that's the thing is like, you know, that's why I think, especially when we have the Champions League rung, I think Rakitic should be starting at that point or Dijon if he's completely healthy. Yeah, it's, I would keep him right around a seven. I would put him out of five because I just think right. with all the, you know, like in his glory day when he was amazing, he would just do one or two touches, if that, and just move the ball around. And now it's always three or four touches, holding the ball, slowing the ball. So it's an epidemic of the whole system and it just happens to be, he's the pivot. So everything that's going left and right, he has, it has to go through him and it just goes really slow. Yeah. Well, uh, also does, I mean, he doesn't have the same options that he used to. Of course, of course, of in course, terms of, of teammates. So is it yeah. fair to put that on him? Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Let's go to uh, your boy, your, My boy, your baby blue eyes, Frank Sinatra, Sergi Barreto. I am enjoying seeing him play in midfield. I agree that Samedo has fully won the right back position. And the thing about Sergio Roberto to always keep in mind is that he is that utility player. You know, yep. I, for, for too long, I was, I was married to this idea that he was a, a midfielder miscast as a defender, but he really is just a utility player. I've learned to embrace that now. And he can play on the left side of the midfield where Puj was today. But mm-hmm. since Puj was there today, he shifts to the right. And yeah. I feel like he's slightly less effective, but he still has that ability to break lines, to carry the ball well, to make decent runs. And he was involved in the goal. So I would just love to see him play in that part of the park. Um, as far as his performance in this game, uh, I would give him a 7.86. Okay, I like it. I'll, I'll, I'll ride along that train. I think he had... <laughs> Definitely a better game. He was definitely more influential in this game. I just want a little bit more daringness and a more attack. I mean, I just feel like he's already been established now. Like, this is now the chance where you take a 1v1 more. You take those passes more. Because in this match against Valladolid, I just wanted him to take that right flank more with Semedo and just pair up. And as we've talked about in the last two years, the Semedo-Roberto still is just – it's oil and water. Like, it just doesn't mix – very well and and after two years it's still the same situation but yeah. i think Drew roberto had an overall really decent game so let's go to the top lines here now this is where obviously messy what would you do with messy uh, <laughs> it's okay you can't you can you can't be cruel well okay uh let's let's start off by pointing out that he assisted vidal on the goal. And, and we have we have a comment here just right on right on cue with that from francis tony something positive messy in second gear still does unbelievable things his assist Backwards, perfect pass. So, yes, 
that's the thing to keep in mind is that yeah he is clearly in second gear and and yeah. yet he still does unbelievable things exactly yeah. yeah his assist to vidal and not only the assist to vidal but when he made the pass he didn't know it was going to be an assist sure his his follow-up to be prepared to accept either a rebound off the keeper off massip or a, a return ball from vidal he was making that run that was i his best moment and it was far and away his best moment sure by by like a lot so um but he gets points he didn't do anything hor- bad on on messi's worst day right <laughs> yeah, yeah how bad is he right uh so i'd give him i'd give him a a 7.73 7, i like what you're saying so this is where it always comes down to it's like yes he made an assist but i think throughout the game today i just felt like he looked the most tired I've seen him in the, in a while. And it just goes down to he's played every single minute since the restart. And he's just not young anymore. He did have an, an unbelievable assist, you know. So that's obviously, I think, 21 now assist in the season, which is crazy, right? Yeah. And, again, his influence when he has to pick the spots is great. But especially in the second half, there was a couple times where he tried to always do that patented move where he took it to the middle and vitally wrote it all the way. And, and to me, it's one of those things where he has to use the wing. But since we had slow wings and Suarez up top, you don't blame Messi trying to do that move, you know, because there's no right. space. So he's kind of in a rock and a hard place. I would take the same rating. I put this to the community, Brian. When is the coach going to take Messi out? Because yeah. Messi does need rest. And I know selfishly, you know, as a Barca fan, I want to see him play him every minute. Don't get me wrong. I do. But at the same time, for example, if Puj goes in that role or Griezmann goes in that role, are we really losing that much? We have to preserve Messi for the long run, especially with these Champions League games, if we're going to try to do something in Champions League. All right, let's talk about Griezmann. So it's kind of one of those things is like, I think he saw the defender and it went through the guy's legs, right? And so it kind of threw off his timing, but he still had enough time to hit that one time and he fluffed it. So I think that was the bad moment. But for the most part, I think he ran enough. He did the things he wanted to do. How would you rate his performance tonight? Uh, not good. <laughs> okay. I would say that he really only lost points. He had that opportunity that he, you know, did not put away. He And for a professional, particularly a World Cup winner, a, a forward of his caliber, we know that he still needs to sort of work on the law of averages. Like he needs yeah. X number of opportunities to put one away. Um, and I think you're right. It wasn't as easy as maybe it seemed, but... Uh, he should have finished that. So I'd give him a 6.39. Okay. I like your exact percentages. I love I'm it. Very precise. I know. I know. <laughs> um, I just wanted to see him play the full 90 tonight. I think the game needed it. Um, either him playing with, with Suarez up top or him replacing Messi. I think, you know, I think he would have been better in the second half. And I just think he was more prepared for it. But obviously, Setien thought otherwise. You know, I would go along with the same reading because, you know, even on that goal, like he didn't miss, he should have he should have finished it, and it should have been two nothing, and I should have been done with that. Let's go to your boy, Hamfoot, my my boy. Yeah, we have we have a comment here, so let me put it here <laughs> <laughs> from Victor. Paper bags greater than Suarez, you know? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And man, this guy is just killing me, and. I mean, how many bad passes did he have, Brian, today? I mean, I don't know if you know, but, like, you cannot pass through players. Yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) then again, some of the greatest passes you'll ever see are the ones that seem like they're trying to go through players, and it works out. It goes through the legs. and This is true. This is true. You take risks. You do. As a professional, that's, that's part of it. But, like, I was telling my friend here, I was saying, you know, the one thing that Suarez needs to transition to now is just using his back to the defender, receiving the ball and distributing and moving the attack to the lower third. He's not doing that. He's trying to take 1v2, 1v3, 1v1, but he's always losing every time of those opportunities. And then when he gets an opportunity on a 1v1, he fluffs the ball or he makes a bad decision. Like yeah. In the one play. yeah, he's not even that good on 1v grass. Like he's, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's plenty of ham-footed passes, but at the same time, when you look at the game Griezmann was having, I can understand it. It's like, well, I can either ride this horse yep, I or I can try something else. Even though Suarez hasn't been looking great up to this point, let's, let's try this. I mean, 
I probably if if it were me, you know, just put Braithwaite in instead of Suarez. Like that is, I'm not sure if I would have the um, the cojones to to, to do, do that. that in real life if I were Setien. Well, I would because I would just show him the tape prior to all this stuff so it wouldn't lead up to like this one game kind of a situation. But at the same time, I understand like what he's trying to do. I just think Suarez ultimately is just going to be better in 20-minute bursts like we've talked about. And yeah. he can still score the goals as we've seen since the restart. So I'm not taking that away from him. But as you saw in the second half, I mean, like I said, we were talking about cricket and Claude Makaleli. Because the second half just went to a halt, you know, yeah. compared to what the first half was. And the first half still wasn't going up and down and so many attacking shots. It was just in comparison of the two halves. So, again, it's it's just frustrating again. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, obviously, they're still putting a little bit of pressure on Real Madrid going forward. But I think it's too little too late, Brian. Yeah. So, again, we have two games left, essentially. We'll see what happens. And, yeah. Um, and we'll watch the uh, Madrid game on, what is that, Sunday? Yeah, yeah, for Monday, sure. Monday. Rooting for the other team, obviously. And uh, oh, yeah. By the way, do you know it's the ten year anniversary that Spain won the World Cup today? Oh, that's nice. In, Iniesta de mi vida. So yeah. there you go. There yeah, you go. Sure. There you go. So yeah. So you know, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll catch you on the next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply